nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasny. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. On a personal level, I have a 25-year career of building companies, and I have the privilege to speak with nonprofit executive directors on a daily basis through Financing Solutions. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. I'm excited today to introduce uh, our speaker and uh, someone we're going to learn a lot about is Dr. Bill Anderson. Bill is currently the Principal and Executive Director of the Center for Individualized Training and Education, also known as the Site School, C-I-T-E. They're located in Providence, Rhode Island. Site's mission is to assist a student in learning self-management life skills in multiple settings in order to return to a lesser restrictive environment in less than 30 months. The site team, led by Bill, has reorganized a 45-year-old school with program drift. And I think the key word we're going to be talking about today is program drift. In 2015, Bill took over a 100-year-old facility with nine students that was in decline. The program is now focused on positive behavioral support, applied behavioral analysis, collaboration with parents, and meeting with the need of the demographic with now over 35 students. A trained lawyer, Bill spent 25 years of active reserve duty in the Navy Coast Guard. Of course, we thank Bill for his service and is a retired special educator, principal, administrator, superintendent of special education programs. He's a behavioral psychologist and a parent of a child with profound disabilities. Bill is recognized for accepting challenging positions in both public and private school programs and has over 40 years of experience with students diagnosed with multiple handicaps. Bill, welcome to the Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate the opportunity to converse with you today. You know, I, I was reading over your uh, biography and, you know, it's funny because I was looking at mine and, you know, you don't really don't look at them that much. And when you do have a chance to read it, you're like, wow, I, I've done a lot. <laughs> Did you, does it feel that way? Um, it's, it's often, uh, an interesting conversation with people where they say, so what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's been very enjoyable for the most part. Yeah. And I get the most enjoyment really out of, out of working with students and having had the opportunity to sort of recreate a school based on the fact that this is what we know students need and not necessarily the teachers or the administrators or the business model. And sometimes that gets me into trouble. Well, it's always complicated, isn't it? It is. Yeah. very. That's very true. So today what we're going to be talking about, uh, something you have experience in, of course, 
is what to do when your nonprofit's mission and operations go adrift from its original vision. Uh, you know, it's an area that you have direct experience in and, and, uh, you know, certainly when you're north of 50, you learn that experience. Well, north. yeah, you, you learn that experience matters. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Bill, but every single time I want to really kind of learn something and really, I got to get an answer it, that's more in depth. The first thing I do is pick up a phone and call someone who I know who has experience in it. Do you do the same thing? I, I do. And, and that's been a, one of the biggest challenges here. Mm. Um, I've had a lot of experience running school programs, uh, working with challenging folks. But the business side of this um, has become far more of a challenge uh, in a positive way in most, in most situations. But it, it's beyond just the school. It's, it's the school as a business that often keeps me on my toes much more than running program now. I, I have staff that, that have come in to uh, do various aspects of what I would do as a principal, um, but now I spend more time actually running the school business, uh, which has been interesting, but sometimes pretty daunting. So tell me a little bit, how, how did you get involved with uh, the site school? So the site school had been in business for quite a number of years, um, had been through various iterations based on the different uh, program directors and, and executive directors that they had. Uh, and <clears throat> the program about, oh, I'd say a good 20 or so years ago, really sort of lost sight of what the original program model was. Um, it was developed up on the campus of Butler Hospital, which is a very large mental health facility here in Rhode Island. Um, they started a school program, uh, very connected to, in a number of ways to the city of Providence, uh, ended up with a building uh, on the opposite side of the city of Providence, um, and started working with kids with significant behavioral issues, a lot of multi-handicapped kids. But the design was always to work with kids with dual diagnosis, not just a mental health disability or a disorder, but also um, an educational disorder as well. So the school departments were involved and they drifted pretty significantly uh, over the past 20 years. Um, I got pulled into this because um, I was in essence available again from another program that I had worked in for a few years to try to put back on the right path um, and that's kind of a history that I've had and pretty much everything I've done in education has always been kind of coming into a situation that was not so good. Yep. Um, so I had a, a member of the board who called me in or called me and said, you know, we've got an opening for uh, EDD. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. Um, <clears throat> I've been a special ed director and assistant superintendent um, in the state of Rhode Island for I don't know, 20 some years. Um, and never heard of the site school. So I found it sort of intriguing because it was learning something new and different in a kind of a pretty small place. Rhode Island is pretty tiny uh, in comparison to pretty much anywhere else. So it was unusual for me not to know about a, a special ed pro school program, but I didn't. So I was intrigued. Wow. So when you originally came in, the, I guess the board already knew they had a problem. 
Yeah, so it was it was more prog- programmatic mainly because uh, the school departments are will refer students to us uh, or for the site program to work with kids who are not in a place to stay in a public school setting. Yeah. They either require you know, physical management or de-escalation and all this sort of scenario um, that a lot of public school programs are just sort of not designed to be able to do. Um, And that's where a lot of my background comes in. So I was always intrigued by working in public schools and trying to keep kids in in schools uh, versus outplacing students. But there are times when that needs to happen. So um, I was intrigued by the fact that the census numbers were going down, particularly from the, the school district here in Providence, um, and started to ask some questions why. Um, and so I found out a whole lot more about why the program was in decline. And it was really because of program drift. There was no real clear direction of the program. Um, there had been students here that had come in when they were five or six years old, and they were still here. Uh, 18, 19 years later. And, and we haven't done that kind of work since the early 70s where students would be placed someplace and they'd never leave. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I think it's really the wrong thing to do for kids. Um, but I understand that there are some kids that are not ready to be in a public school setting with, you know, a thousand kids in the school. Now, when the, the original purpose of the school, had it changed? I mean, or or... Were they not following it anymore, or did it need to change with the times? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it didn't really change to meet the needs of students. It was a program that had been a program for quite a long time, um, taking some profoundly handicapped kids, um, but not really making a significant difference in what it was that was going on, and uh, particularly for those those students. Mm. So the, the drift occurred, I think, mainly because of financial issues. They didn't want to increase um, the tuition because they felt that school districts would move away from them because other programs might have been uh, cheaper. But in essence, based on my conversations with their various school districts, that wasn't the issue at all. It was really program drift. There was no real focus in the program on with working with individuals that had pretty significant uh, mental health issues, but there was no one really here clinically to be able to manage that. Right. So we had to make a change for not only financial reasons, but but mainly for the fact that that's not that's not why people will send students to a special education outside placement. Yeah. They want a specific plan. They want to know something is going to change and they want to know when it's going to change. So understanding that, that's the direction we work in. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, for our listeners, we're going to at the end get into the, the three to five, you know, action items that you would recommend when, when someone's seeing that either their program isn't going well or that it's gone off its course or whatever. But I want to lay the groundwork right now uh, on a couple sure. of them things. So, so, what was the hardest part of the job when they, you know, when they brought you in? Um, not having full access to all the financial issues uh, that were uh, involved in the agency. 
So I walked in and, and um, was told that uh, we had no money. Uh, there was no money available to make any program changes, no money available to make, to make changes to the building structure. There was just no money in the program. They were, in essence, losing money. Um, and as I gained more and more understanding and more and more access, um, I started to ask some pretty significant questions of one or two of the people that actually had some knowledge of what was going on. So, the but the board, I was somewhat surprised at uh, because I felt members of the board, particularly the folks that I interviewed with, had a better understanding of what was going on. And that really wasn't the case. What was going on is, is that the program was continuing to survive, but only continuing to survive. Yeah. Um, and and that's what needed to change. Yeah. So that's what kind of sent me off in the direction of, you know, I really need to learn more about this whole business model because we should not be losing money. Yeah. There's got to be money here someplace. And there was. So how, how long, like, they bring you into the position. How long did it take you before you kind of understood exactly what was going on? Um, about two and a half months. Oh, that's fine. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I well, because I'm sort of an inquisitive guy. Um, I ask a lot of questions. Uh, when I was a teacher, I always taught Socratically. So asking questions is kind of what I do. Um, and the fun part was people were pretty defensive about the answers. That's what gave me the inkling that there's a whole lot more here than I don't know. Yeah. And then I just kept digging. And it was a good thing I did. Now, the board, uh, did you feel the board and the people at the organization gave you that time or were they starting to get a little antsy? No, the board. Um, so the, the first time I met with the board, I believe there were probably 10 people in the room. Um, and within two weeks of my saying, yes, I, I'd be willing to take the position. Uh, six out of the 10 were gone. Wow. They all resigned. Um, but understandably so. Most of these folks have been on the board for 30 years, mm -hmm. some even longer than that. Um, they met once a year. Um, wow. It was more for me. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, usually it's once a month, right? Oh, you would certainly hope so. Yeah. But but yeah, that's, that's kind of what it was all about. There had been a uh, chairman of the board that had been uh, running the agency since the day it started um, and he had passed away two or three years before um, a new or, or I'm sorry uh, the vice chair of the board took over um, but he was he was sort of on the periphery of what was going on what was occurring was is that the business manager and the um, chair of the board were very much connected yeah. so conversations occurred around the executive director and not with the executive director because mm. the executive director was the principal and the, the only person that has the license to actually um, run the school. And so that's where things had gotten off the rails because the person that should be running the school was not running the school. It was really between the business manager and the uh, chair of the board. Were you, were, you, and, were you pretty good at politics at the time? Being in public schools, well, um, I mean, when you're trying to politics is a biggie. Yeah. Um, the I'm not from the area. I'm not from uh, Rhode Island. Um, all I, I have contacts here, 
and have been to school in different places in Rhode Island, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not originally from here. Mm-hmm. So it makes a whole lot of difference in a real tiny place like the state of Rhode Island, um, in a smaller place like the city of Providence, and not even being from the state nor the city. Uh, yeah, I had worked in Rhode Island for 30 some years or 20 some years rather, but the end result still is you're not from here. Yeah. So, what I, what I kind of meant was when you're dealing with the board and, you know, I guess there was some, you know, there's people leaving. I mean, did it just, was it, a, was it tough or did you have to work the politics a little bit internally to kind of manage that situation? Well, what happened was, if if you think of it, we went from 11 people on the board to three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a whole lot easier to manage yeah. the scenario yeah. because you only have three or four people. Yeah. And, and those three or four people were invested, invested in the school, but didn't know a lot about the school yeah. uh, and, and what a school in in the 19, well, I'm sorry, in the 2000. 17, 18 should be. They were still working back on the 1980s yeah. uh, model, which had never changed, honestly. Yeah. So that's, that was part of the problem. The politics, the politics involved is really dealing with the local area. Mm-hmm. Uh, politics is real local around here. You're trying to get people, people's understanding of what it is that we do and why we do it. We still deal with the fact that the, the biggest car wash in Rhode Island is right across the street from us that 90, 95% of the people in Rhode Island probably know about. Yeah. Everybody's been looking at this building for years as they washed their car and had no idea it was a school. Uh-huh. That's, that's odd. That's yeah. really odd. So yeah, that was the, the sort of the politics of it. So you think that if those seven or so board members hadn't resigned on their own and let's say they were all still there, uh, do you think you would have been able to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish? Yes. Okay. Because the the um, the question would be, so why do we need to do this? Why 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 does this need to be different? Well, it's not really different. It's going back to the same original population you were serving with a psychiatrist who's on board, but you need to do it thirty some years later and recognize that the model has changed. Yeah. How we do, how we work with, with kids is much different than what it was back in the seventies. And I know that cause I was working with kids back in the seventies. Yeah. So I, I got, I got that part of why, you know, some people felt a little uncomfortable with the whole idea of changing, but what's really changed is that the director, the principal, who's the licensed person runs the school and not the business model. Yeah. Because, we found out that, you know, there was, there were 300 and some thousand dollars sitting in a couple of bank accounts that nobody really knew existed. Wow. Yeah. 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 And that's why we, as soon as we decided to go full, full tilt, we had the money in, available in, in the cap to capitalize the kind of changes that we need to make because we had three classrooms and we had so many kids referred to us because we proved that our program model was what was going to work with kids. Um, we just ended up with supporting more and more kids and taking on some of the more difficult kids that the other programs around us, our competitors, were not willing to do. We proved 
to school districts that we actually do some pretty awesome work with kids and get them back to the school districts. Yep. And Providence has really bought into this model and is making a difference. So that's, you know, why we're still here. So it sounds like because you did the groundwork of understanding the problem, I mean, did you think you spent more to, what, how long was it before you actually implemented some changes? Um, probably 35 minutes after I walked into the building <laughs> as the, as the principal, yeah. you know, there was, there were just things that were laying around from a business from just from, uh, doing human resource work, um, you know, in my years younger, um, and saying, you know, so, so why are these folders just sitting out like this? Oh, it's easier to get to them. Yeah. No, no, no. These are personnel records. They're yeah. supposed to be on the locking key all the time. Oh, that's not how we do stuff here. Huh. Oh, no, that's how we're going to do stuff here. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, things need to change. We, we, we don't do this kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's how it all started. Did you, uh, did you have to let anybody go? Yes. Yeah. A number of people, within a few months, there were a number of people who were looking to move on. Um, and that's fine. Uh, and and it, sometimes that has to happen. I mean, I've done this enough times to know that there are people that are going to say, well, I'm not going to do that. And okay, well, we really don't have a place for you here because things need to change. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the first people uh, that decided to sort of challenge the system was somebody that, that actually cooked the food for our kids. And you know, we, we don't do hot pockets. We don't put things in the microwave and warm things up for kids. I want kids to have a good meal that we know is, is healthy and has lots of good um, nutrients that need to be there. We, we help, that helps us recognize um, that kids are getting, you know, a minimum of two awesome meals a day. We don't, you know, buy food from the federal government. We go out and purchase stuff just like a restaurant. Yep. And so, and that's what our chef does. We have a chef that cooks specifically for this population of kids. So we have about five minutes left. So are there any other recommendations that you would, that you would recommend to a uh, executive director? So once you, once you have a mission, vision, value statement, and you realize that there are things that are occurring within the agency that have drifted way away from what that mission, vision, and values are, then you are not really keeping a good eye on why you're really there. Um, our job is to keep looking and seeing what it is that we can do, not only to make it better, but to make what it is that we do now better for the school districts or the students or the parents so that we can show people that the way we are helping their children to learn tasks that they may not be able to do at home, um, we document all that information. Again, we have it on, on the, our digital tapes um, to record the kind of things that might be going on. Yep. Um, and sometimes we can share that with parents and sometimes we can't. It kind of depends on who else is in the picture. Um, but if, if we wanted, if we had a special ed director that came in and says, can you, can you prove those things to me? Yeah, we have documentation that can prove that to you.
that's a big deal. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like, to, you know, first step, understand the problem, really understand the situation that's going on, take a step back. Secondly, and probably the most, most important is redesign, redefine your purpose, your mission's purpose, and really kind of visualize as to what you, what you really want to become. Third step is to, with your staff, to get everybody to kind of brainstorm and come up with solutions or what they want to see based on that work that they've done with the mission and the purpose. And that way you kind of get buy-in with your staff too. Correct. And then the the last step is kind of you implement it and then you kind of make sure that, you know, you're on track and, you know, maybe you, you try to be careful about, you know, not going too far, uh, just yep. kind of, you know, work in the easier stuff or, uh, you know, making progress and then you can kind of broaden it as you go along. Does that kind of sound accurate? Yep. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's very true. I have found that that's, that has worked in several situations that um, I was hired into where there are underlying conflicts between uh, faculty and staff and parents and kids and school, school board members and all the different scenarios where you have to really synthesize all that information and then come up with a plan to manage the direction you want to try to take things. Yeah. Um, and assess whether that's actually possible. <clears throat> I'm one of those people that sees the, the glasses always half full. Yeah. And if, and, the, and I wouldn't be true to the work that I've done over my years in this particular field. Um, and honestly, in anything that I've ever done to be able to say, you know, I'm just, it, this is just not going to work because I, I'm not, I can't be the only one that's trying to, to put, push this um, train over the edge. Yep. It, it can't just be me. Yep. I have to be able to articulate why it can be more than me and why it's important. And and I've always been successful, I would say, in in ninety five percent of the scenarios, being able to to bring some people along who who would stand up and say, Yeah, I agree with you. That really that really should be different. But that's happened because I had some awesome mentors that um that were out there for me, particularly in the field of education. Tom DePaulo, who ended up uh, retiring as the director of uh, special education programs in the state of Rhode Island was an amazing individual as a leader, uh, a guy by the name of Joe Cunha, who was also uh, a very intriguing and interesting and unique leader um, that I learned a lot of different aspects of life from. Um, it's, it's important uh, for people in leadership to have had uh, someone that you sort of look up to to say, you know, there's something there that makes me want to try to do um, something that they, they they did, become a superintendent or something. Yep, I understand. Um, I got to a point where I said, you know, the next step for me is going to be superintendent. And I just said, that's, I don't want to lead that life. Um, I don't want to be the one that has to be politically correct all the time, uh, <laughs> which is not my strong point. Yep. And um, I, I need to follow a different path. So I went back to, to actually teaching in schools. I went back to a, a high school um, to work in a behavioral program because 
I, I just needed to get back to what I knew was the right thing for, for kids. Yep. So, yeah. Bill, I would like to really thank you for being on the you know, nonprofit MBA. Uh, you know, I think it's obvious that, you know, what you're talking about relates not only, of course, to the nonprofit, but to the business sector. And, uh, you know, for those who are listening, if, if you like today's podcast, uh, please feel free to share it with a friend. And of course, you know, if you're looking for a, a line of credit for your nonprofit, uh, you know, financing solutions would love to work with you. Um, if you want to reach us, uh, financing solutions, you can call us at 862-207-4118, or you can visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's fscreditline.com. Bill, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how would be the best way to do that? Um, my email address here at school is dr. Period. B-I-L-L period A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at uh, C-I-T-E school dot org. Uh, we, ha- we have a website www.siteschool.org uh, uh, where you can see a lot of our activities and programmatic models uh, in action. Um, if I could, the last comment I would make is the one experience that I didn't have is I, I always did budgeting, but I was never the one that had to bring the money in to be able to kind of do the whole budgeting thing. And I got caught, uh, we got caught this year with a scenario where one of our school districts was was not paying um, within a uh, three to four week period. And it's a very significant amount of money to be able to meet payroll. And I was lucky enough to find and fortunate to find um, Steve and financing solutions out there, which helped us bridge the gap between when we send out our invoices and when we need to make payroll every week. And and if if one doesn't catch up with the other, we can be in real trouble. Yep. Um, and that's where financing solutions, particularly for nonprofits, we went to our our local bank, which was Citizens Bank, and they really weren't interested and. We tried a couple other banks in the same kind of scenario. And I, uh, just from a Google search, I found financing solutions and, and they, they were right there. Very helpful. Uh, some of the conversations that Steve and I have had about the business side of things, which I, there are times that I just don't have that experience has been really helpful. And I can't thank Steve enough where, um, providing the funds at the time we really needed it and happy to pay them back because it's just, it's the best possible thing that you can have available. Well, thank you, Bill. I mean, we, we, lo- we, I, I love working with nonprofits. I really believe in what we do and uh, there's a big need out there. You know, it's obvious that, you know, that the nonprofits are, are having an issue getting, getting lines of credit. So again, thank you for being our client. And, and of course, thank you for speaking uh, today as well. Lastly, if, uh, if any of you out there feel that your nonprofit has a unique story relating to how your nonprofit is applying business or leadership tools, please contact me. We are always looking for speakers for our podcasts. On that note, I'd like to thank you for listening and thank you for making the world a better place.